The great French gastronome Briat Savarin once said, tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. I'm Jamie Schler. Welcome to Stir Crazy, where I'll be talking food with the most intriguing people who you least expect to talk about food. My guest today is Joe Walsh. Joe began his career as a social worker, providing education and job skills training to students in low-income areas in his hometown of Chicago, as well as teaching American government and American history at two Chicago-area colleges. He quickly became politically active, eventually running for and being elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 2010 as a Tea Party conservative Republican. He was also a presidential candidate for the Republican nomination in 2020. He hosted a long-running conservative talk radio show, which lasted several years, eventually becoming known as the only anti-Trumpism conservative voice in conservative talk radio. He's the author of Fuck Silence, calling Trump out for the cultish, moronic, authoritarian con man he is, which led to his Fuck Silence podcast in 2021. He currently hosts the really terrific White Flag podcast. I am overjoyed to welcome Joe Walsh to the podcast. Thank you for coming. Hey, Jamie, no bull. It is just so awesome to be with you. I mean that. I'm so honored, and I will explain to you how you came onto the podcast and cool. how I kind of felt about it because I was really panicked at the beginning. So here's the story of how Joe Walsh ended up on my foodish podcast. So Matt Walton, my producer, who you know, you guys know each other. Love, I think. love me some Matt Walton. Absolutely. We were messaging back and forth several months ago about kind of brainstorming who we could invite to be on the podcast. And one day he, I get a message from him and he says, I asked Joe Walsh and he said yes. And I said, oh my God. And I panicked and I said, but I, you know, I, I don't know him. We've never interacted. He probably doesn't even know who I am. I have no idea what I will talk with this man about. And Matt, <laughs> Matt sent me back a message saying, you know, don't worry. He is just a really, really nice guy. You can talk to him about anything, and it's going to be great. And so I started to research you. Uh-oh. I started to pay attention to your tweets more than I did because I follow you on Twitter. And you know I comment on them a lot. <laughs> yes. I read your Wikipedia page, as one does when they're researching people. Uh-oh. I know. Uh-oh. And I, you know, I put some of that stuff in your introduction, and I thought, well, if I get anything wrong, blame it on Wikipedia. Because I really just, I mean, there were some fascinating things that I want to ask you about on your Wikipedia page. Positive, good things, not It's a bad. nice way to put it, Jamie. <laughs> and then I started listening to interviews that you'd given on podcasts and on TV, primarily in the last couple of years. And... Then I listened to, I think, a couple of episodes of your previous podcast, but then I started listening to White Flag, which you know I love. Mm -hmm. I'm hooked on it. What I discovered really surprised me because knowing your, you know, your political history, which is very different than... <laughs> because, I re because I realized that we are, we're really programmed these days to have this fixed stereotypical image of right, conservative, Tea Party, left, progressive, Democrat, whatever. 
And the more I watched you being interviewed, the more I discovered a really nice guy. You were funny, you were self-effacing, you were humble, you seemed very, very human, which, you know, doesn't always come off when people are being interviewed. And you just seemed like, Matt was right, you were, seemed like a really nice guy. So I got very excited then about having you on the <laughs> podcast. I still had to figure out what to ask you, but I was... Hey, Jamie, really by the happy. way, yes, you are one of my favorite follows on Twitter. I mean oh, that. That means I mean a lot that. to me. It means a lot to me, it does. Yeah, because especially because you and I are polar opposites on probably most issues. Um, (laughs) Probably I'm a progressive, a pragmatic progressive. But I was just so taken in by what you were doing, what you what I call your political evolution and how you started to really open up to people of differing ideological and political positions in order to create a conversation. And that just really, really fascinated me. And I don't want to talk political issues on my podcast, but I do want to talk to you about how you got to where you are today. But I want to start at the beginning, Yeah. which is you grew up in the Chicago area in a very big family. I know that you were the fifth of nine kids, but I was listening to your episode of your podcast, White Flag, yesterday, talking with Jane Lynch. And you said that your parents had four kids very close together, a gap of three years, and you, another gap of three years, and then four more kids, which kind of left you hanging in the middle. I mean, what was the dynamic of this whole family and how were you in that? Jamie, it's hard. I grew up nine kids, seven boys, yeah. If I ever write a book about myself, it'll probably be called Growing Up Alone in a Family of Nine. Ah. Because I, I really did kind of feel alone. The top four all went together. The bottom four went together. I spent a lot of time on my own in a big family, hmm. um, which I guess helped make me who I am. Did your particular family, I mean, what were your parents like and how did your parents handle nine kids? That's uh, I, I don't know. I, you know, they did it the way you did it back then. Yeah. You just had kids, you fed them, you threw them outside the door. They played all day. They came back home at the end of the day. It was a great way to grow up. Exactly. I, exactly. It, yeah. Uh, and it's a shame that we don't do that now. I loved my mom and dad. I loved my mom. Growing up Irish, you always feared your dad a little bit which is good, Mm -hmm. and you cling to your mom. And I clung to my mom. She died two years ago. She was the only one, Jamie, in the whole family that was political like I am. So so I really loved her. Oh. Oh, so you picked up her politics because the two of you were very close. Or you, it influenced you. She was a big influence on me. She was a historian. She read every single book about American history. She loved John Adams. I loved Thomas Mm -hmm. Jefferson. I would grow up, we'd debate who was the better founding father. So yeah, I got a lot from her. Interesting, interesting. So since this is kind of a food podcast, I'm curious to know about mealtimes growing up with nine kids. (laughs) Hey, Jamie, think military. And it... Think military. (laughs) I, I mean, she would bang the pots and pans. She'd have something on the stove, casseroles, Jamie, every kind of casserole under the sun. And we'd all line up. With our plates, uh, my mom would plop your oh. servings on your plate, and good luck going to try to find a place to sit. 
Oh, fascinating. Anyway, hey, Jamie, Were you a great to way to table? grow up and a great time to grow up. Yeah. Well, it was different. We're the same age, and we grew up in that same kind of time, yeah. And it was the same kind of thing, but we didn't have nine. There weren't nine how of ma- us. Jamie, so how many did you have? a little different. We were four. That's, there were four of us. That's a good-sized family. Yeah, it's not bad. My dad wanted more because he grew up in, there were six of them, and my mother just said no <laughs> after four. Actually, she said, she said no after three, but, you know, they just moved to Florida. Things so. happen. Things happen, yeah. So a lot of casseroles. Was there any Irish influence in the food that your parents made, your mom made? Interestingly, my mom, Jamie, was mostly German, some Irish. My dad was all Irish. I remember a lot of what we she would call busy day burgers, which was a sloppy joe without any sauce. It was just ground beef, ground meat. And you'd have a bun and you'd throw it in the bun. A lot of, Jamie, my mom, and my my lovely Jewish bride laughs, my mom wasn't a great cook, but she was a great assembly line cook. A lot of shake and bake. She'd buy skinny pork chops at the grocery store and cook up 100 pork chops for the seven boys. So there was a lot of volume, but never great quality. (laughs) I love my mom. Mom, I love you. Quantity instead of quantity. (laughs) Yeah, we who grew up with moms who were bad cooks, it it made us stronger, didn't it? Well, Jamie, I never had pasta growing up. Did you? You did. We had, well, once in a while spaghetti and meatballs, but it was uh, not very good. And hamburger helper. A lot of hamburger helper. And that was it. And I remember, Jamie, I've had nightmares about cream of mushroom soup. I remember she put cream of mushroom soup in, damn it, everything. But we ate it. That was very fashionable back. I mean, it was what you did. It was, <laughs> it was popular. It was popular. You just cooked, yeah, a lot of tuna with. But you know, when your mom is a not a good cook, when she does tuna noodle casserole with cream of mushroom soup, it's like a festival yes. because it's good. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Right. Uh, meat and potatoes, Jamie. I grew up with meat and potatoes. I never experienced seafood. I never experienced any kind of spice, which I love now. Oh, right. That's, yeah, that's cultural. Probably also Midwest. I mean, I grew up with seafood because we were on the coast of Florida. So, but yeah, spices, yeah, no. My dad grilled burgers all the time. A lot of grilled burgers. Oh, that was good though. And he made, Jamie, my dad made the best freaking scrambled eggs, cheesy scrambled eggs in the world. (laughs) That was our Sunday morning treat. Mm. Oh, okay. That's it. Otherwise, okay. pretty boring. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so I want to go to your career path because I think it's your education and your career path, which I find absolutely fascinating. You started by graduating from the University of Iowa with a degree in English, which I assume is writing and literature. Yes, yes. What did you read? Don't tell me only political no, stuff. No, no, no. Heavy, he- heavy on the literature, Jamie. This is, this is what I so miss these last 15 years of being so political is I, I used to read literature religiously. I adore, oh. the, I adore Fitzgerald and Hemingway, that era. I, I just, that's, that's my go-to. And I haven't touched any of that in years. I miss it. Do you think we'll ever get back to a point in time where we'll be able to actually read again? Oh, 
Jamie, that's such a great question. I was talking to my wife about that this weekend. I, I'm not a young guy anymore, but I feel driven to live a life of cause, a mission. And when you do that, you miss out on normal life. So I probably won't read Hemingway again until I'm 84. That makes yeah. me sad. Yeah, it is. It's because we get so much out of literature anyway. I mean, you learn so much. And it does make you, I mean, you can yes. apply it to apply to everything, life, politics. So next, after your degree in English, you went to the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. You studied acting. This, uh-huh. I don't know how many people know this, but it's an incredibly impressive school. Why and how and what? I mean, <laughs> how did you end up there? Jamie, I I always had an interest in being on the stage. And I think a big part of that is coming from a big family. I've done enough therapy to know that when you come from a big family, you're always yearning for your mom and dad's attention. Mm -hmm. And we all did because mom and dad can't give enough love to nine kids. So there was a yearning for me to be on the stage and a to get some attention and to perform. I've always loved that. My problem, Jamie, was I got into acting pretty early. Uh, I was lazy. I was was a daydreamer. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then, oops, I had a baby right away. Oh, okay. Yeah, that kind of throws a spoke in the wheel. So I moved back to Chicago to teach on Chicago's south side, to teach low-income black, brown, and white kids right. on the South Side, and then that kind of moved me into politics. Okay. Um, before I get to your Master's of Public Policy, you worked with Jobs for Youth program. Is that what you did? You provided education and job skills training. Yeah. Now, this is going to sound very stereotyped as well, but it sounds like such a lefty kind of Obama thing to do. <laughs> How did that mesh with your politics? Were you already kind of leaning conservative when you were working with these inner city kids? Jamie, that's such a great question. And it's a question I wish I was asked more because I was a social worker. I was a teacher. And it always fit with my politics, Jamie, because really I'm, I don't like the word conservative. I hate that word, in fact. Screw conservative. I'm pretty libertarian. What does that mean? I believe in freedom and a very limited government, so I believe people outside of government are called to help those who are less fortunate. So when I was a social worker or a teacher, I thought it fit Mm. my politics because I was a private individual helping people. That makes a lot of sense, sense. actually. It does make a lot of sense. And whatever, you know, you always see people on social media saying, you know, in these arguments about government and assistance and people say well there's you know there are individuals there are charities there are churches there are organizations but at the same time you need people to fill those and you need to be able to have enough people filling those roles and those organizations and those jobs uh, for it to have a big enough effect that you don't need government yes So that's, Jamie, that's generally, when you cut down to it, politics, that's generally what we fight about. Most people want us to have good schools and want poor people to be taken care of. We really argue about what the role of government should be in doing that. 
That's really kind of the that debate is and the argument. It. Though, Jamie, I'll admit, there are people on my right who don't give a damn. <laughs> there, there's no doubt about yeah. that. Okay, so then you went on to get a Master's of Public Policy at University of Chicago's Harris School of Public Policy Studies. Why did you do this? What was your goal? I was obsessed, Jamie, with the issue of urban hmm. poverty because I had been working with kids on Chicago's South Side. So I wanted to go to the University of Chicago to get a real basis, a varied basis on policy-wise, what we need to do to help improve educational and employment opportunities for our inner city urban Did you youth. find the answer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... I'm <laughs> Hey, by the way, I love you. You ask such damn good I like, questions. I like to think, um, I, no, I, I, like I'm, to think I'm I still ask the cert- questions nobody else will ask. <laughs> Jamie, you do. I've probably done 39,000 interviews in the last seven years, and you're asking me questions no one's ever asked. You are awesome. Um, No, I'm still searching for the answer, for that right mix between government and private charity. But when you do a public policy school, I mean, when I see the words public policy, I assume that it means government, the role of government. Yeah, Jamie, it's like a public version of an MBA. No, no, no. People go to public yeah. policy school to generally go work in the government. Oh, okay. It's, I didn't want right, to work so in the government. So what you're learning in however long your program is, one or two years, it's two, two years, years yeah. they're talking about primarily how government agencies create policy to help people. So it's basically kind of going against what your ideology was. And Jamie, I wanted to go there for two years, and it was a rigorous two years, I'll tell you, because I wanted my ideology tested. And most of my peers who went to school with me all went off to work for the government. I went off to work for private charitable organizations. Mm -hmm. But it really did give me a, a really good basis for the government view. So I do want to ask you about those charitable organizations that you worked for, but I have to ask the question then, why do you run for government? Why do you run for a position in government rather than continuing to do, you know, organizations, associations, charities? Why did you decide to run for government? Another good question, Jamie, because I think it's so important in government. And I believe in government. I don't want no government. I want Mm -hmm. a limited government. But I do believe in government. We need elected people to serve from a wide variety Mm -hmm. of viewpoints. We need that balance of conservatives who say limited government and progressives who say more government. We need that debate and that constant tension. And I've always had an interest in educating and inspiring people. Uh, serving in office is a great platform for that. Oh, very true. Good answer. <laughs> it's a good answer for somebody like... Good answer to a very well, good, good question, It's a good answer Jamie. for somebody like me who, I mean, obviously I'm living in a country and I've been living here for 35 years where there is, you know, a lot of social programs. And I see the positive and the negative I do see the negative. And I also see that there are differences, in because we also lived in Italy. I saw the way that ran. I have a son who lived in Germany. He's in Switzerland now, and the other son is in Belgium. So I see the, that they all run differently, but they are heavy on the social. Yeah. And No, you're right, Jamie. You're right. We generally in America 
have been much less government social policy than most of our European mm-hmm. friends. But I think that's changing. I think we're moving toward more of a European model. Yeah. And I'm not happy about that. But again, it's a great debate to Mm -hmm. have, Jamie. But ever since Trump got elected, we stopped having these debates. Exactly. And now it's all about just saving our damn democracy. Exactly. So we're going to get to that in a second. So some of your charity work, you worked everything from raising money for scholarships for kids, as well as working for organizations that help get fiscal conservatives elected, which is kind of two things. Talk a little bit about, especially the charity work. I'm very interested. Hey, Jamie, probably the issue I care most about deep down, if we ever talk about issues in the world Mm -hmm. anymore, is this issue of school choice. In America, you generally go to school at the public school where Mm -hmm. you live. It's all geography-based. If you don't like that public school, that government school in your neighborhood, if you're rich enough, you can send your child to a Catholic school or a private school. Poor kids, low-income families in America don't have Mm -hmm. that option. So you see in Chicago and Milwaukee, a lot of urban areas, low-income kids are stuck in horrible schools. And I've always been interested in the idea of directly giving that family Mm -hmm. money, that low-income family money so that they can use it to go to whatever school they want their kids to go to. So that's an issue I've worked a lot on, and I I raised private scholarship money to enable low-income families to do that. So where does working to better those public schools to start with come in? Great question. We should be always... I mean, if you take the kids out... To go to a different school district, a private school, what's left of all the other kids who stay in this school that's lousy? I mean, see, I'm coming from the social, the, a, the kind of socialist side, but I mean, it... No, I, I, Jamie, I love it. I love it. And I guess my easy answer would be we should be doing both. Mm-hmm. Policy-wise, we should be doing whatever we can to make that school on Chicago South Side better mm-hmm. For many of these families, it won't be better. And so I think at the same time, if kids can have the same right that wealthy parents have and they can leave, we should be allowing them to leave. And Jamie, you and I may tussle over this. I don't think it's an issue of money. Like in New York City, we spend about $22,000 per child in the New York City public schools. That's a lot of money. So I I think we need to reform how those schools do and how they can do things better so that kids want to stay. Correct. I agree with you there. Let's see. Okay, so you ran for office. You lost your election because of redistricting to one of my heroes, Tammy Duckworth. (laughs) Tammy Duckworth. I knew, Jamie. I knew she was going to be one of your heroes. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you get into talk radio? I mean, what made you take that step? Because you did it after you left office. Was there anything in between? No. When I was in Congress, I was, shall we say, fairly outspoken. (laughs) (laughs) I was obnoxious. I was loud. So after two years, when I left Congress, some talk radio people approached me immediately and said, "Uh, we need to get you on the radio. You're interesting. So they put me on and away I went. Okay, so that lasted several years. So you did talk radio 
which kind of morphed into your first podcast, right? You just had two, The Fuck Silence and The White Flag. Hey, Jamie, let me make one important point. So I did talk radio. Mm -hmm. I grew to almost 200 stations around the country. Mm -hmm. And then I publicly came out against Donald Trump. And I subsequently lost all my talk radio pretty quickly. Okay, so you ran, you primaried Trump while you had your talk radio. No, I lost my talk radio show the first time right when I came out to run against Trump. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay, between 2016 and 2020. Okay. But I had, for two or three years, Jamie, I'd been losing advertisers and listeners and stations, blah, blah, blah. So then I hopelessly ran against Donald Trump in 2019, 2020. Okay. And then you did your first podcast, which was started in like 2020, and your second in 2021. I just launched this past October, 2021. So why end the first one to start White Flag? I mean, what was the change? And why start a whole new platform? Here's the change. In all sincerity, people like me, and I was one of the louder voices, helped bring us Donald Trump. And I have publicly on CNN and everywhere, apologized for that profusely. Mm. I helped bring Trump to America. I helped, as an angry Tea Party guy, Jamie, I helped divide this country. And so I I launched this new podcast this past fall because I want to spend the rest of my days making up for that, doing what I can do, if I can do anything to try to heal that divide. So every week I sit down with a well-known person who doesn't think like me. Mm -hmm. And we try to respectfully model how to have a conversation in a world that just doesn't do that. And what fascinates me, I mean, that's not even the word, the whole idea that everyone says, okay, everyone says, in order for our country to unify, we have to be able to sit down, different opinions, different ideas, and listen to each other and get along and try and find common ground, which is what you do. Amen. But, yep. but what is stunning to me is that so many people reject that. They reject you as if you should have stayed in your lane, as they say, I mean, the come phrase, and that it's impossible for someone to come to the place you are at and do what you do. So, I mean... I'm assuming you feel that. How do you live that? I mean, how do you continue to go forward with all of that pushback? Because I've heard a recent interview, which might have been kind of early on in in 2020, May. I I didn't check the date. There was even a journalist that said, yeah, well, how can we believe you? Because years ago you said such and such. Yeah. So how do we get to a place of us talking together if when we talk together, people say you're not allowed to do it? It's hard, Jamie. I don't know if it will work. We're so, pardon my French, we're so fucking tribal right now. Look, there's money in it. I could have kept my mouth shut and gotten on Team Trump, and right now I'd have 400 talk radio shows, and I'd be on Fox News every night, and I'd be making millions. That's where the money is. Same thing on the left. You know, the MSNBCs of the world. The money and the audiences are in those lanes, So I don't know, Jamie, if this will work. I don't know if there's a lane 
if there's an audience for people who are postpartisan, who are sick of the divide, and they want to hear two different people talk, I, I don't know if it will work. I know it's necessary. I mean, have you reached out to people to be a guest on White Flag and they've refused? Yes. And you know what's interesting, Jamie? And I, I again, I'm trying to put very well-known people on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I get pushback from the right. All of my former friends on the right are afraid to come on. Generally, people on the left who disagree with me, they're much more open about coming on. Interesting, huh? It is very interesting. Are they afraid to come on or do they refuse to come on because they don't want to move on anything? Hey, Jamie, here's the deal. And you know this probably intuitively. Most of my former Republican colleagues in Congress, most of them think Donald Trump is a piece of shit and he's bad for America. They can't say that. Most of my former colleagues in the conservative media world think Donald Trump is a piece of shit. He's bad for America, but they can't say that. So if they came on my podcast, they know I'm going to respectfully kind of drill down on that. And I don't think they want to defend it. Hmm. Which is too bad. I hope one day we'll get to the point where... To a lot of them, Jamie, it's just a game. It's just a game. Hmm. That's terrible. Now, there have been a lot of former Republicans who I respect a lot. And weirdly enough, people like, you know, Bill Kristol and Steve Schmidt and people like that, who I do have an immense amount of respect for, have turned away from their party and speak out like you do, albeit less obnoxiously, (laughs) loudly, Um, (laughs) to use your own words. On what, I mean, there's two questions here. I mean, do you see any of them taking responsibility for getting us to Donald Trump? Because for me, who came of age in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, to me it started a long time ago and just kind of inched its way forward. Are you the only person who has actually taken responsibility publicly for that? Or do you see other people, former Republican Party members, coming out? I've always been curious to ask somebody about that. <laughs> Jamie, I don't know of any former Republican who's been as outspokenly contrite and apologized as much as I have. And I'll say this, you make a good point. Every Republican and every conservative gave us Donald Trump and is responsible for Donald Trump. Mitt Romney did, John, you know, all the Republican good guys, they all gave us Trump. And all the crazy Tea Party people like me gave us Trump. And Bill Kristol, good friend, never Trumper, he gave us Trump. And, And Jamie, the reason I say that is the Republican Party base, you nailed it, for a long time had issues, they had concerns, they had fears. Mm. And the Republican Party establishment, people like Mitt Romney and Bill Kristol, ignored these voters. And then along came crazy Tea Party people like me, and we inflamed these voters. What we should have done years ago was sit them down and educate them, listen to them, inspire them, uh, do tough love with them. Mm-hmm. But this entire voting base was ignored, and Jamie, now they're completely radicalized. And we all did that. We all did that. You know, I'm always constantly shocked when I comment on 
one of your tweets or on somebody else's, uh, you know, another former Republican. I mean, I've seen what people on social media answer directly to you, and it's vile and horrible. But even yes. somebody like me who just leaves a comment, you know, I get attacked for supporting, you know, somebody who's supposed to be, you know, a traitor to their party. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I mean, psychologically, how do you hold it together? I mean, how do you not, you know, get all depressed and eat too many chocolate chip, I mean, peanut butter cookies? (laughs) (laughs) No, Jamie, look, this hasn't been easy. Uh, Thank God I have dogs. Thank God I live with a woman I love. I mean, for six years, I get threats every day. Mm. I mean, I get a lot of hate and ugliness, but I get threats. Yeah. And I, I guess you just have to find times to just try to escape it. Mm-hmm. I'm not very good at that. Well, that's well. That's when you need to set aside time for a good novel or baking. I, I need or I need to learn how to do that, Jamie. Yep. I need to learn how to do that. Well, that's what's good about baking. It's very, very therapeutic. You go in. Once you start. You can't stop until you get to the end. So you're kind of forced to spend two hours doing something, and then you have a result at the end. But you're really concentrated on it, and it's really sad. My, well, my problem, Jamie, is I have a wonderful wife who loves to cook and bake. I watch old Hollywood movies. <gasps> that's that's my escape. Okay, what do you watch? Oh, my God, anything with Barbara Stanwyck. <gasps> yes. I, I want to go back... Jamie, I want to go back in time and just spend a week with her. Anything with Barbara Stanwyck. I knew we. I'll start I knew there. we were destined to be friends. <laughs> I watch Christmas. I, I watch Christmas in Connecticut every year. Every year. Every, every year. year, and we just watch Sorry, Wrong Number. Yes. Oh yeah, that's. But that that, uh, that genre, that <laughs> age, those those folks. Yeah. Oh, that's is a great escape. So, the last couple of years, COVID. I guess you spend a lot of time in your house confined. Well, like you kind of answered my question. So you watched a lot of movies. You taped your podcasts. You wrote a book. What so, else did you do? Well, you have a large. You have a lot of land. So do you garden? Do you hoe and rake? I mean, <laughs> no. well, we had a, a tractor, and it would take about five hours to mow the whole lawn. That was a great escape. Hmm. Jamie, I have a pitching wedge, and I would grab a few golf balls multiple times every day and just go out in the yard and swing a golf club in between Zoom TV and Zoom whatever. But Hmm. yeah, that's what I did for two years. Oh, okay. Are you going to continue? No, you know. It's completely different there. I mean, you guys are having, you know, a lot more freedom than we are to go out and do what you Yes. Is it going to change there? Yeah, they're trying to remove mandates one at a time, and yeah. you no longer have to wear masks inside. So little by little, they're you know they're trying to loosen up. Yeah, yeah, we're safety. we're a we're a little ahead of you here, and so when I do TV now, I can go in the studio instead of by Zoom. With my podcast, I'm trying to literally sit down in person with people. I find that to be mm-hmm. so much better. Like I would have loved to have come over and sat in your kitchen with you. So that kind of thing is starting to happen. Oh, good. Okay. So I just found out that you married a Jewish woman. 
Congratulations. Ah, yes. <laughs> so you are now a recomposed family. You each have kids, two different religions. How do you combine family traditions, holidays, food traditions? Jamie, it ain't easy. It ain't easy. (laughs) I'm looking at Helene right now. We probably did a lousy job of merging kids because Helene and I fell so in love 18 years ago and our kids were younger. So we haven't done a great job of merging the family. The religious thing has been wonderful because, Jamie, my favorite place on the planet is Israel. I want to live and die in Israel. That's my dream one day. I want to be buried in Israel. But it's been interesting. It's been an interesting mix. I'm an old-fashioned Catholic guy, and she's a much more modern, hip Jewish gal. So did she introduce you to a lot of Jewish foods? Yes. Or not really? Well, yeah, Jamie, she introduced me to a lot of foods, period. Again, this simple meat and potato guy, once I met Helene, my God, I was eating pasta. I was eating Thai. I was eating really spicy Hmm. Mexican and Mediterranean food. She loves Mediterranean food. I'm not into hummus, though, Jamie. I don't like the whole hummus thing. Oh. I know. Okay. Hmm. I know. I love the bread. I love the flatbread. Pita. Well, I guess she, I guess she could say, "Well, more for me, right?" Yes. In the hummus department. She loves hummus. So, uh, so do your do you get together with all the kids from both sides ever? So, two of my together? kids live in California. One lives in Boston. Her two live one in Chicago, one in New York. So they're all over the place. Um, what we tend to do is the two of us will go spend time with our kids. My daughter had a daughter three months ago. That was a treat. So we tend to travel and see our kids. Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. This was, this was so great, Joe. We'll have to do it again. I'd love to, and I've never been to France. Come to France. I have a hotel in Chinon, so there's plenty of beds and plenty of French food. <laughs> and then we can bake together in my kitchen. I'd love that, Jamie. Do, hey, do they have tequila? Do they have tequila in France? They definitely have tequila. Oh, good. My supermarket has a huge liquor section. Good, good. Separate from the huge wine selection. Ah. But we are a wine region. Yes. Thank you, my dear. Yes. You've been wonderful, wonderful. Jamie. Thank you so much, and enjoy the rest of the cookies, and I will definitely see you on Twitter. God bless. Thanks, Jamie. Love you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this exceptional episode of Stir Crazy with Joe Walsh. Now head on over to the Stir Crazy YouTube channel and watch Joe and me bake classic all-American peanut butter cookies together. And it was great, so you do not want to miss that. If you enjoy Stir Crazy with Jamie Schlur, that's me, please subscribe to both the podcast and the YouTube channel. That way you won't miss one single exciting episode. And it also really supports my work and gives Stir Crazy the boost we'd love for you to give it. Thanks and see you next episode.